Good morning. Welcome to Pigeon Post. My name's Michael, and we're going to finish up the Gospel of John today. And I'm recording this on Easter morning, um, and the sun is already out, so um, I'm a little more awake than maybe Mary and the disciples might have been here. Just to put ourselves in their mindset, they watched Jesus die. They watched all the blood come out of him. They watched a brutal, gruesome, nasty crucifixion. Um, some of them probably helped clean up the body and wrap it up and put it in the tomb. And that was that. Jesus was dead. They watched him die brutally. Sometimes, you know, there's, a, there's kind of two sides of this coin of believing 2,000 years after it happened. In one sense, it's really hard for us to believe. And in another sense, we don't feel the weight that they might have felt, that they might have felt of after watching him die. Just think about going to a funeral and watching the body being put into the ground and then three days later seeing the person. It would be mind-blowing, right? We mentioned the World Trade Center analogy um, as an analogy for how big this event is to John and the rest of the disciples. We mentioned that at the very first episode, I think. But just imagine watching a body, watching someone fall out of the World Trade Center and hit the ground. That's the kind of knowing that Jesus was dead. They knew he was dead. They saw him die. This is not an accident or a mistake. The spear went into his side and blood and water flowed. This is not someone being brought back to life you know, a few minutes after dying with medical technology where their heart is still intact and all the blood's in their body and their lungs can still function. Jesus was dead, dead, dead. And with that in mind, Mary goes to the tomb. And with that in mind, the disciples hear from Mary something very strange. The Gospel of John, Chapter 20 Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went early, while it was still dark, to the tomb, and saw the stone taken away from the tomb. Therefore she ran, and came to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. Therefore Peter and the other disciple went out, and they went toward the tomb. They both ran together. The other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths lying, yet he didn't enter in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and entered into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying, and the cloth that had been on his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but rolled up in a place by itself. So then the other disciple, who came first to the tomb, also entered in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they didn't know the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. 
But Mary was standing outside at the tomb weeping. So as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. They asked her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, and didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. So I love where Ben chose to stop reading because it leaves us on this cliffhanger, right? She thinks she's talking to the gardener and she thinks that Jesus, his body has been stolen. She's weeping in a garden. There are so many um, allusions to Genesis and the idea that this is a new creation. But here we feel possibly the weeping of the fall. Jesus wept outside the tomb of Lazarus. I'm sure there was some weeping by Adam and Eve in the garden after the fall. As they are about to receive or have received the sentence of death. If you go back and read Genesis um, 3, I think it is. Um... So Mary is in the garden. She thinks she's talking to the gardener. She thinks Jesus' body has been taken away for some reason. She's very confused. The disciples, John and Peter, and we assume that it's John because he doesn't refer to himself. He just calls himself the other disciple or the disciple whom Jesus loved. They run to the tomb. And uh, it tells us that John believed says he saw and believed um, for they didn't understand the scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. So um, we're going to talk about that in the second part here. But um, that, that's, a, that's a big theme here in John 20, that some people have to see and believe, but is that really the design um, that's supposed to happen here? Um, so John is apparently believing. Peter, we would assume, is, con is confused, but, but neither of them have seen Jesus risen yet. Mary doesn't know she's talking to Jesus, and none of the other disciples are even in this part of the story um, yet. So with that in mind, let's see what happens. The Gospel of John, chapter 20, continued. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. Jesus said to her, Don't hold me, for I haven't yet ascended to my father. 
But go to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. When, therefore, it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were locked where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the middle and said to them, Peace be to you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples therefore were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus therefore said to them again, Peace be to you. As the Father has sent me, even so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they have been forgiven them. If you retain anyone's sins, they have been retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, wasn't with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days again his disciples were inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors being locked, and stood in the middle, and said, Peace be to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here your finger and see my hands. Reach here your hand and put it into my side. Don't be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Therefore, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So Mary doesn't recognize Jesus until he calls her name. I think that's beautiful. Um, it reminds me of John 10 when Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. Oh, I just feel like praying right now. Lord, I thank you for calling my name. And I pray that you would call the names of people listening right now if they don't know you, Lord. Amen. I just... I think that's such a great analogy of what Jesus has been telling us, um, that the Father draws us, that there's a sense in which he just calls us by name. My sheep hear my voice, and he, and he calls them out. Um, so that's really cool. She recognizes, she recognizes her Lord is risen. And she runs and announces, it doesn't say she runs, but I would assume, <laughs> she runs and announces this to the disciples. I have seen the Lord. And she says what he said to her. Now the disciples are still afraid. They're afraid of the Jews. The doors are locked. And suddenly Jesus shows up. And we don't know how he shows up. Um, 
Some people say that he walked through the wall. It doesn't necessarily say that, but maybe he did. I'm not, I'm not a Greek scholar, so, um, but I've heard that it doesn't really explicitly say that. But he pronounces peace to them. And they were glad when they saw the Lord. And he showed them his hands and his side. And he tells them again, peace be with you. And then he breathes on them. And this reminds us of Genesis again, where God breathed the breath of life into Adam. Hello, Emma. Do you want to say hi? Okay. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. <laughs> All right, let me finish this segment. Hold on. Okay, well, hold on. I'm almost done. Okay, I'll be there in one second. Can you wait one second? Okay. All right, so Jesus breathes on them, says, Receive the Holy Spirit. And he says, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness, it is withheld. That's a curious verse. But I want to link that back to this idea that in verse 9, that they didn't understand the scripture that Jesus would rise from the dead. So just kind of hold that for a second. And um, I'm going to pause the recording right here. So apparently Thomas is not with them um, when Jesus shows up this first time. And, he, and when they tell him that they've seen the Lord, he says, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger there and put my hand in his side, I'm not going to believe. So Thomas kind of gives this ultimatum like, I'm not going to believe unless I see it. Now, I think we really need to evaluate, like, should this be the model for us? Should we demand from God that Jesus physically appear before us and that we put our hands, our fingers in his hands? Well, I think that Jesus addresses that because he says to Thomas, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So Jesus even though he gives grace to Thomas, and I think it's special because he is, part of his purpose in this time is to appear before his disciples and proclaim and show his resurrection. He's physically resurrected. Um, this is a real resurrection. This is not a spirit. This is not a ghost. Thomas is putting his hand in Jesus's hand. But Jesus tells us that that's not going to happen with us. We're going to be blessed by believing without seeing. And this links to um, John's purpose here, is that he is showing us Jesus in Scripture, and that by hearing that and believing, then we may have life in his name. So don't expect Jesus to physically appear before you. Um, I think we could even go some other places with that uh, as far as people um, claiming visions and stuff like that. I'm not saying, I'm not saying anything about that. <laughs> to step into, you know, controversial territory there. But let's just say this, that the normative uh, model in Scripture, the thing that Jesus says is going to happen, is that they're going to believe and not see. And that it's, John says it's going to happen through this writing, through the word of God. This is the record that God has left inspired by the Holy Spirit to provoke belief in us. So um, I think we can affirm that at the very least there. Um, so, but 
for the for them they have seen mary has seen the disciples have seen thomas has seen and with the same faith the same sureness we believe even though we haven't seen that magnifies the power of the holy spirit in all of this and what is the response thomas says my lord and my god Thomas calls Jesus God and Lord, which speaks to who he is in essence. He is God. The Word became flesh. So it goes back to John 1. Uh, John is linking up everything right here in this chapter. It's so pivotal that we know that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, Christianity is garbage. It is not good for the world. It's one big lie, and we're wasting our lives. Even, even the Apostle Paul will say that later in the New Testament, that if Christ is not risen from the dead, we're pathetic, and this is a waste of time. Brothers and sisters, this is not a waste of time because Jesus did physically rise from the dead. And uh, I have to thank one of my former pastors for just solidifying that in me through his teaching that that Jesus rose from the dead. There was a dead guy in a tomb and lungs started working, brain kicked on, blood started coursing through his veins again, heart started beating. We are not talking about a reanimation or a swoon or any of these other ridiculous things that we've heard. We're not talking about a spiritual thing that happened that was just spiritual. Um, This is taught by the Jehovah's Witnesses. It's funny when you look at other religions that do address Jesus, there is always a twisting of either the crucifixion or the resurrection or what it all means. There's a twisting of the crucifixion or the resurrection or what it all means. Um, Islam teaches that Jesus really didn't die on the cross that it was uh, basically an optical illusion of some kind. Uh, It was kind of a trick that God played um, so that Jesus wouldn't have to die on the cross. (laughs) That contradicts what we're seeing here. That is a different Jesus. That is not the Jesus of Scripture. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses teach that uh, it's a spiritual resurrection, that he didn't really physically rise from the dead. That is a different Jesus. That is not the same Jesus. Um, Mormons teach that we are essentially just as much God, we just haven't got there yet, as Jesus is, and that Jesus is a spirit brother of Lucifer. They may affirm the resurrection, but they're not talking about the same Jesus. And we could go on and on with that, and um, we will in some future podcasts. (laughs) Now's probably not the time for it. But uh, I also just want to mention that it's also linked to what it means. So we can also have the wrong Jesus or deny the gospel by saying that the crucifixion didn't mean what it means, what the Bible says it means. Or saying that the resurrection didn't accomplish what the Bible said it accomplishes. So to have the right Jesus, we have to have the person and the work of Christ. We have to have the objective reality of what happened there 
the death, burial, and resurrection, physical resurrection of Christ, and we have to have the subjective reality of what it means to a particular person. And uh, we'll get into the subjective more in future podcasts. But I wanted you to see, and I want us to see, how Peter preaches this, okay? Because when I mentioned that verse, uh, were verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, that verse is kind of curious. And also verse 9 about they didn't understand the scriptures that he must rise from the dead. I think we could get a little confused with those verses because, number one, we might think, well, where does the scripture say that Jesus rose from the dead? Okay. And the other thing is we might say, well, okay, so only the apostles had an ability to forgive sin. Um, so we have to find a way to link up to the apostles to get our sins forgiven. Let's see how Peter in Acts 2 applies this chapter and actually a couple of the previous chapters here. Let's see how he preaches the gospel in Acts 2. Men of Israel, and this isn't the whole sermon, okay? So if you want to see the whole thing, read Acts chapter 2, but this is a pretty good chunk of it. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I might not be shaken, may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. For you have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And Peter says, Brothers, I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And Peter says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, 
for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, we see so much stuff linked up there to this chapter and really a lot of things in John. Um, Namely that Peter is quoting Old Testament scripture, that Peter is bearing witness, and that by faith they're hearing and believing without seeing. And the forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed and affirmed so that they're not coming to Peter and saying, hey, you, Peter, forgive my sins. But yet Peter is proclaiming the forgiveness of sins um, by the gospel. Um, So really cool. Um, I'd encourage you to kind of check that out again because I feel like I maybe didn't even highlight all the things there that are there to be highlighted. But this will totally change the way you read the Old Testament, especially the Psalms, when you realize that they're actually about Christ. And the Old Testament is about Christ. But that's, that's for another podcast. <laughs> so um, back to John's thesis here. By believing you may have life in his name. That's what we've been doing this for. That's why John wrote this book. And you see the boldness of Peter. Um, Keep that in mind, because we'll come back to that. The Gospel of John, Chapter 21 After these things, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples, were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They told him, We are also coming with you. They immediately went out and entered into the boat. That night they caught nothing. But when day had already come, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus therefore said to them, Children, have you anything to eat? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. They cast it, therefore, and now they weren't able to draw it in for the multitude of fish. That disciple, therefore, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, It's the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he wrapped his coat around himself, for he was naked, and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about two hundred cubits away dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out on the land, they saw a fire of coals there, with fish and bread laid on it. Jesus said to them, 
Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land, full of one hundred fifty-three great fish. Even though there were so many, the net wasn't torn. Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. None of the disciples dared inquire of him, Who are you? knowing that it was the Lord. Then Jesus came and took the bread, gave it to them and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was revealed to his disciples after he had risen from the dead. So, kind of strange that John's ending with this story. Not, not super strange, but I guess strange that it's focused so much on Peter. Um, if, we, if we look at uh, Thomas's response as kind of um, an analogy for someone initially believing in the, in the risen Christ, we could look at what's happening here with Peter as... What happens when our relationship as as believers gets somewhat fractured, um, either by sin or or disbelief or what have you, or something happens that fractures or um, I guess we would say in Christian terms breaks fellowship, just something wrong, you know, between us and God. And any time we sin, we need to believe that we're forgiven through Christ's work and we need to confess it, right? And Peter is dealing with probably an incredible weight here, Um, the weight of his denial of Christ, that he was presumably afraid that something would happen to him and he denied Christ when he said that he would die for him. Um, In this first part, Jesus kind of uh, shows up and starts cooking breakfast. (laughs) I love it, you know? (laughs) Jesus shows up, he's resurrected. He shows up and starts cooking breakfast. Um, The disciples are out fishing. It's just so, it really speaks to our humanity. Like this is not something that somebody would make up. When you read the Bible, it doesn't, it's funny that people say that it sounds, or that it's fictitious or it's myths, but this is not the kind of myth. These are not the kind of heroes. <clears throat> I mean, what are you gonna say? Well, let's see, our God, what did he do? Um, well, he resurrected and then everybody decided to go fishing and then he showed up and cooked breakfast. Yeah, let's write that down, that sounds great. <laughs> it just, it rings true because it is true. This is what normal people do when they're grieving or when they're confused, you know, sometimes you just get out, let's just go do something, okay? So the disciples go fishing, um, and Peter says, I'm going fishing. Okay, Jesus shows up, and apparently they weren't expecting to see him there, because Peter jumps out of the boat and swims for the shore. And um, so, yeah, and then they have breakfast. It's, it's so, so cool. <laughs> but I think it speaks to Peter's desire to be restored in relationship with Christ. 
that I'm not saying that he's lost his salvation or trying to discern that in any way, but just saying that he wants to be where Jesus is. When he learned that the tomb was empty, he ran there and, and ran right into the tomb. Um, and here when he sees Jesus on the shore, he just jumps out of the boat. And he's the one that wanted to go fishing in the first place. Um, really, really cool just how the Bible is letting you know that these are real people with personalities and that God condescends and, and created us with personalities and condescends to, to speak to us um, in our personalities. And um, I think that's really cool. So um, we're going to wrap this up. One more reading. Um, to finish uh, the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, chapter 21, continued. So when they had eaten their breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I have affection for you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I have affection for you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you have affection for me? Peter was grieved because he asked him the third time, Do you have affection for me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I have affection for you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Most certainly I tell you, when you were young, you dressed yourself and walked where you wanted to. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. Now he said this, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. When he had said this, he said to him, Follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw a disciple following. This was the disciple whom Jesus loved, the one who had also leaned on Jesus' breast at the supper and asked, Lord, who is going to betray you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If I desire that he stay until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. This saying therefore went out among the brothers, that this disciple wouldn't die. Yet Jesus didn't say to him that he wouldn't die, but if I desire that he stay until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies about these things and wrote these things. We know that his witness is true. There are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they would all be written, I suppose that even the world itself wouldn't have room for the books that would be written. Okay, Jesus knows everything. He knows our hearts. This is how he restores Peter. And this is how Peter gets transformed from the wimpy guy afraid to tell the servant girl 
that he is a follower of Jesus. Um, afraid for a few people to know that, <clears throat> and he denies Christ. And then the sermon that I read you earlier, where he proclaims it in front of thousands of people at the risk of his own life, that's a massive transformation. And just as a side note, I think one of the great evidences for the resurrection, one of the great evidences, is that these disciples who were locked behind a door, who were denying Christ or refusing to believe, these are not heroic men, but they became essentially fearless. Why? Because they sat around and said, let's decide to make up a story about Jesus rising from the dead and let's all go get brutally massacred for it. <laughs> I don't mean to be, um, to be sarcastic, but it just does not make any sense. The only thing that does make sense is that they saw the resurrected Christ. The only thing that makes sense is that they saw him brutally murdered, all the blood came, came out of him, that he was in a tomb for three days, that they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt he was dead, and then he rose from the dead. And it massively changed them. And the Holy Spirit being in them massively changed them. You see, we don't, you don't need to produce a body, um, or excuse me, I guess you wouldn't produce a body, but you don't need to uh, have a physical encounter with Jesus. We don't need Jesus to appear um, right out of thin air in order for us to believe. We need to know what happened and see the obvious facts that are in front of us, but we really need the Lord to do a work inside of our heart. Because there's another story in the Bible that Jesus told where a person is essentially asking for somebody to, um, to uh, this is a dead, it's a story about a dead person who's asking somebody in heaven to basically go and talk to or send somebody from the dead to go talk to his brothers so that they would believe. And this person says, that's not going to work. Even if someone rises from the dead, they're not going to believe it because they have the scriptures. And I think it, 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 it just testifies to how powerful the word of God is. That faith, as Romans says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ or the word of God. So the gospel is powerful. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So um, I don't remember why, how I got on that tangent. <laughs> I think it was a side note of, um, of the apostles becoming completely different people by having an encounter with the risen Christ. And that same thing can happen to us. Um, you probably know someone who's been, who is a totally different person since they met Jesus. Um, but anyway, back to what Jesus says to Peter. He asked Peter, do you love me? 
And he does this three times, and I think that's significant because I think the denial is portrayed as being three times. So as Peter says, I don't know the man in his denial. Jesus says, do you love me? And Peter says, you know that I love you. You know that I love you. And Jesus goes a step beyond that and says, feed my sheep. Peter hasn't lost his purpose that Jesus had for him to preach the gospel as we saw in Acts 2. Jesus says, you are going to feed my sheep. And Jesus also tells Peter the death that he's going to die. But you notice the fear eventually goes away. Peter's not afraid of death anymore by the time we get to Acts. And Jesus' exhortation and his command to Peter is, follow me. It's the same thing he says in John 1 to his disciples. Follow me. The message never changes for us as believers. Follow Jesus. Do you love Jesus? Follow Jesus. But I love Peter, and I love how <laughs> the Bible is so truthful about human response. And Peter says, well, what about that guy? You know, you say, I'm going to die for you. What about John? Jesus says, look, I'm the Lord here. I get to decide how this all plays out. Don't worry about John. If I want John to live forever and never die, that'll happen. You follow me. What a massive thing for us to process, right? As we compare ourselves to other people around us and, and what God's will for us is and what God's will for them is, that Jesus says, look, do you love me? Follow me. Um, it reminds me as a parent of sometimes having to say to your children as they're questioning some, um, something you've told them to do or some command that you've given them or some purpose, questioning the purpose of what you're doing. And you say, look, I, I really don't have, I really don't need to answer that question right now. Either I don't have time for, for that question or your safety depends on it. Just do this, okay? Just put your seatbelt on. <laughs> Just do what I say. Just hold my hand right now as we cross the street. Like, you don't need to worry about that thing over there. You need to worry about you. You need to worry about your heart. But my brother did this, or my sister did this. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Uh, are you following me? Do you love me? Follow me. Um, so, really cool that John ends with something that's applicable to everybody. Because a Christian is not someone who believes one time. Um, we're not forever locked in that Thomas experience. A Christian is someone who repents and believes and sins again and repents and believes and sins again and repents and believes. And we're not losing our salvation every time that that happens. If we're born again, we will overcome the world. That which is born of God overcomes the world. And um, it's so cool that Jesus' teaching is not just this um, really dumbed-down kind of like, say this prayer and then don't think of me ever again. But Jesus' teaching is that he is Lord, just as David said. He is Lord. He's sitting at the right hand of God. His enemies are being made a footstool. And we need to worship and follow him as Lord. John ends with just a few sentences here, basically saying, I could write way more, guys way more than 21 chapters. 
Not that chapters existed back then. There were no demarcations like that. It's just one big story. Um, but John says, I could fill books and books and books. I haven't even told you half of what Jesus said and did and what it means. And um, with that ends the Gospel of John. Um, just as a side note, by the way, just to let you guys in to, to, uh, to some of the behind the scenes. Like I, I've used the word side note um, a handful of times, maybe more than that, in this podcast. And I just want to acknowledge that I got that from Ben, um, the person who's reading the scripture readings. Um, so I love that phrase, side note, um, or that word, side note. Um, so I totally stole that from Ben. But I just sincerely want to thank Ben for reading um, those scripture readings. I could not have done that. I barely had time to cobble this together. And him sending me those scripture readings every day, which I know is difficult because when I tried to read scripture for the last episode, it took, it took me forever to do it. <laughs> but um, I think, I haven't talked to Ben about this, but maybe we'll have like a kind of a postscript episode to this um, John Gospel of John challenge where we can kind of talk about um, scripture reading and how reading John has affected us and just kind of you could meet Ben and all those kind of things. So uh, hopefully we'll do that. But thank you for joining us in the John Challenge. I hope that you believe and have life in the name of Jesus. And uh, if you are listening to this on Easter, happy Easter. And if not, just remember that we're always living in the light of the true physical resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Bye.